Hello and welcome. You're listening to another episode of Cosmic Children. I'm your host, Kevin, for today. And uh, we have Ritz as our co-host. Hey. And today we have a very, very interesting individual. Yeah. Peng Seng. Hi, everyone. Could you, could you just give an introduction as to who you are, what you do? Yeah. Okay. Uh, my name is Peng Seng. You can call me Pengs or PS for short. I'm pretty chill about it. I wear quite a few hats right now. Mm. So... Uh, I am a musician, a guitarist from the band Mild Life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I run a little indie label. Uh, currently, we're under invasions, but uh, we're in the process of some very exciting developments, which mm-hmm. uh, I cannot disclose for now. You, 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 no okay. es- no <laughs> yes. exclusives. Yeah, no <laughs> exclusives. Uh, maybe, maybe I might leak a little bit later. Oh, of, okay. uh, we'll see. Later. Gotcha. And I teach in the day... Uh, I teach with the National University of Singapore mm-hmm. in sociology department, mm-hmm. and uh, yes, I'm a I'm a teaching assistant basically. Gotcha. Oh. So so these are all the balls you're juggling at the moment. Yes. Okay. Could could we just start with uh, you as a musician? Mm-hmm. So how and when did the interest in music start? Is is everything linked? What whatever you're doing right now is everything all planned out? Yeah. Definitely not planned out. Um, it it started as a, as a kid. I've always been quite musically inclined. Um, I was lucky enough to pick up piano. My parents sent me for for piano lessons when I was a kid, which is like quite a a common yes. common yeah. Yamaha <laughs> among among musicians. Yeah, yeah. I was also from Yamaha. <laughs> uh, I was at Christophery. Oh, yeah, shout yeah. out. <laughs> okay, so piano in the beginning. Piano in the beginning, um, and. I picked up the guitar in JC, but not not because I wanted to chase girls. Uh. <laughs> so I used to be quite addicted to online games. Okay. Uh, Maple? And, uh, no, World of Warcraft. Gotcha. Oh, okay. you're oh, a wild player. Poison, poisonous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you off it or are you still playing? I, I'm off already. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Two years sober. <laughs> Two years sober. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, so, are you also No, no, no. I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so uh, I actually picked up the guitar to kick the habit. Oh, fascinating. Oh. Yes. And, uh, it, but I, after you kick one addiction, you start another one. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I became obsessed with playing the guitar. Do you remember your thought process for that? Like, how did one thing to get away from or quit while lead you to pick up something like the, the, the guitar? Yeah. Um, Do you remember what you were thinking? I I was just very restless and... And uh, I had a good friend back then who was who who played the guitar, mm. and uh, I think he just suggested like, "Hey, let's go and get get you a guitar, lah, so you won't be so like emo and restless." And mm. like, you keep feeling the itch to go back and play. Wow, right? And that's how I started. So he was my very first jamming buddy. Gotcha. And we would play like twelve bar blues and all that stuff. Damn, you, you, you guys started off the right way. Blues straight away, not even rock, man. Yeah, actually, that's the, that's the funny thing. And, and it's something that I realized after um, joining like different bands and just hanging out with musicians in general. I, I completely skipped like the, the pop rock phase. Hmm. I started... That's, that's, that's the usual route mm-hmm. when like musicians start. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but also thanks to my friend La, who was like a very big influence on me. And mm-hmm. he was just like, wow, check this guy out. Eric Clapton, man. <laughs> then I... <laughs> Then I was just like, wow, wonderful tonight. And then I go and learn the riff, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I, w- I just want to go off on a little bit of tangent because I'm actually 
trying to learn the guitar right now. So do you have any tips for people who are... Out there listening? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, tips I, I asked Edwin uh, and he say go and learn songs. Actually, <laughs> songs is the best way to, to, to go about, I feel. Mm. But is it very... Is there like an official like foundation to learning the guitar? Like, yeah, or is it just C and you mimic? Uh, I'd say you just learn the the basic open chords first. So okay. the chords are like the building blocks of songs, right? Mm. And then you know how most pop songs, you just need to know four or five chords. So you can play most of them already. Yeah, so learn the chords. Um, you learn the you start by learning the positions, of course. Yes. But also might be I for me I felt that it was very useful to to know a bit of music theory so mm. learn know what the notes are uh, the difference between like a major chord and a minor chord how mm. they sound yep. and slowly uh, work your way up to to picking up more complicated songs mm. and a lot of practice a lot I of think practice in the beginning it's more muscle memory than anything okay yeah. Same thing with drums, all those who are wondering. Mm. <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> Indeed. So you yeah. were saying, um, you, you started practicing the guitar and did you say you bounced around from band to band? Uh, I, I didn't really have like a proper band until uni. Gotcha. Yeah, but I, I would jam with like a whole bunch of friends. During, during NS, I had some bunk mates who also played instruments. Mm. So we we would just you know just go to a jamming studio and jing jing for a bit. Mm. Uh, I was also on soft soft.com.sg. Oh yeah, that's old school. What, yeah, is, what is that? Yes. It used to be the online forum for music for local musicians. Mm. So yeah. local Singaporean musicians, musicians. soft like a forum, soft. Yeah, is, is it still available? Or? Right, I think it's they, still yeah, it's, it's still, still online, huh? yeah. And it's, it's, people are still active on it. Gotcha. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they would. There was a there. There's this sub forum specifically, which is like musicians wanted. Yep. So oh. so bands or musicians would 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 post, start a, a thread and say, um, "I'm looking to form a band. Uh, looking. I'm a vocalist. So I'm looking for guitarist, bassist, drummer. Yep. This is the kind of music that I want to do. Yep. And people who are interested will just like." reply and yeah. exchange their contact information. So it's kind of like a Craigslist something it like is. that? It oh, is. Yeah, exactly. It is. It yeah. is like a Craigslist. Okay. So this was what? Uh, 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 early 2000s or? This yeah. was like 2005. Mm, yeah. 2006. 2005, 2006. All the way until maybe 2000, 2010 around there. Mm. But And by, by 2010, I think most people, including myself, migrated to Facebook. Face- yeah, so Facebook. we started using Facebook groups and mm. And group chats on WhatsApp. Yeah, you yeah. know, is is, is is it common? Um, is it common for people to 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 get together to to to, to let's say to jam together to form a band because of everybody's interest in music? Like that's the common language that people have, even though it's different instruments. I suppose, but even then, uh, different individuals will be into different kinds of music. Yes. Uh, even even now with my current band, there are some like minor differences in. Well, we all like the same kind of music more or less, but mm. you know, I I usually more towards like the pop side, and uh, my bassist David Xiao, uh, he loves like harmonically rich stuff. So what does that mean? <laughs> means like it can be jazzier things or or stuff that's like a bit more out there. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But with more, the obscure. More, obscure. Yeah. more obscure, more yeah. obscure, more obscure. Interesting. So, yeah. so, with the band, there is uh, one output. 
like a particular style of music, right? Yes. How would you guys um come together to to even decide on something like that? Because you said everybody has different tastes. Yeah. Which is perfect because yeah. So I think one thing in in recent years, um, a lot more so with with the current uh, setup of the Mild Life, yes, with, as a four piece band, um, the individually all of us are slowly slowly coming out of our comfort zones in music, and um, the way we write music, sometimes it almost feels like the music is writing itself. A bit cliche, but please please tell tell me more. <laughs> Uh, yeah, okay, actually, I, I agree with the cliche part, but it really does feel this way because, um, for example, I have like this idea, I play, the, I play a particular guitar riff and um, my bandmates would say, oh, actually, that's, that's pretty cool, but why don't you try something like this? Yeah. And they, it's like, a, it's like a, a, a modification, a slight tweak of what I just played, but I wouldn't have played it that way. Oh. And somehow it, it fits in with like, whatever mu- existing musical ideas that we have and then slowly the song just goes off on a, on its own tangent and and uh yeah and but i specifically for the band this is how we write very mm. very collaborative mm. no not no one person writes all the parts for everyone right which is why the songs take ages to write so, <laughs> yeah it's like i mean like before i mean first it was take 2 yeah we started out as called being called take 2 yeah they okay. Were, yeah, and then the switch to mom life. I mean, I mean, I'm sure people have asked you a lot of this question, but like, let me ask you a different question. As according to take to a mom life, do you feel like the music that you all put out now is way different from take two, or do you all identify the music that you all write as mom life, or it's more separate from take two? What's um, a- I'd say there is growth. It's not mm-hmm. that different because uh, I mean, you have some songs from the Take Two era, like "Always Been Right Here." Yeah, right. And it it has like this very these this soaring chorus, mm-hmm. and uh, where where Patty just goes, "Hey, whoa," you know, like a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. and uh even with the newer material there's still that soaring feeling mm-hmm. for example remnants just, of the take two yeah which is like like distraction yeah and uh the the even newer material that's about mm-hmm. to come out soon uh still ha- retains those soaring elements so okay. um yeah i i i i think if uh for for the fans and listeners that have been following us since I'll take two days, they'll definitely be able to hear right. mm. those like uh, like a common theme. Mm. But what has changed is uh, the instrumentation. Uh, we play around with a lot more digital and synth. So evolution, then. Mm. it's more of an evolution. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is is there just a natural progression with time for the digital side? Uh, time and also a bit of influence from from whatever that's popular right now mm. because our our musical tastes also change and mature and we are all very open to the new sounds that are coming out yeah so um, for example uh, David and Paddy they went to pick up Ableton oh. on their own yeah and so for the the since the last EP, 
we've completely shifted our writing process onto Ableton. So everything we do, we just do on Ableton. We mm-hmm. shift things around. We, mm. tr- we do little production tricks, like you pitch it up or speed things up, slow things down. Yeah, like all that, all that kind of stuff. Is, is is that usually the role of a producer, or That's is it common for band to to do something? I mean, like I mean, in a band setting, like I would, I would, I would say it's definitely a collaborative thing. Like, like how like Ping saying like describe like two of his band members like go and learn how to use Ableton, and now everything's they write on Ableton. Yeah, as to rather just getting together and just jam acoustically, but mm. you can do both of that. And I feel like it's a good evolution. Yeah. I, I, I myself has picked up Ableton over the last year. And for those who do not know what Ableton is, you keep saying this name. It's actually a music production software. Yes. Is it so, industry standard? It is very mm, industry standard. Ableton. It's like one of the, the, the Forefront. most popular. Yeah. It's a it's a Berlin based uh, company. Gotcha. And um mm. shout out to Ableton. <laughs> like, yeah. Hey. Sponsor, uh, please. <laughs> yeah, sponsor, please. I need your pecs. <laughs> Yes. So, so I'm particularly curious. Um, with Take Two, how yeah. how long ago was that? Take Two was uh, second year of uni, so we were all sophomores. I'd say 2013. So let's say about a good six 20. years from Take Two to yeah. Mao Life. Now, how would you describe your change in musical taste for yourself? Um, personally, I, so I, I started out, like, I mean, I mentioned earlier, like when I started playing the guitar, I was listening to a lot of blues mm. and anyone uh, in mind, uh, all your, your blues, the, 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 the geniuses. So your BB King, gotcha. Stevie Ray Vaughan, um, I particularly liked Buddy Guy. And and he he came to Singapore for Timber Rock and Roots quite a few quite a while back, and it's still one of the best blues shows I've ever been to mm. with his polka polka dotted guitar. And you still remember it to this day? Yeah, gotcha. Very iconic. <laughs> yeah, so it started with like the bluesy stuff, and um, there was also a bit of that kind of like very s- s- snobbery, which as a kid you sort of you you pick up from from all the stuff that you read on the online forums and, and like, you know, but you don't know that these are actually just like random, random uncles or, <laughs> and they're just like, yeah, man, the music last time was so good. The music today is very like trashy. Mm. And so I had, I, I picked up a bit of that kind of snobbery in the beginning as well. So mm. I was just like, yeah, man, like blues and jazz, like everything else is, is beneath me. Gotcha. Uh, but, you know, as I started trying to write my own music, I started jamming with more people. Then I, I also realized how immature that attitude used to be, mm. and I I would I would try to listen to more styles of music, and uh, I started getting into like the the pop stuff only a bit slightly later on, and more recently a lot of electronic, a lot of electronic music. When when you say pop, is is that short for popular, or is uh, it something with a more upbeat tempo? Oh yeah, pop. Probably like mainstream pop. Gotcha. Mm. So I, I started reading up on, on like songwriters. Right. Uh, started becoming a bit more curious about like, oh, so so you mean the artist like didn't write all his or her own songs. Yeah. Actually, they, they have like a group of people producing for them. Mm. And, and so because I started making my own music with my own band, so I, yes. I got interested in all these things. Yeah. It's, cra- it's crazy also in like, in like, popular music like there is like a certain time frame where 
the chorus or the hook of the song has to come in. Yeah. Really? Like within the first 30 seconds of the song. That's how it's it's programmed. Everything is all like mm. within the first 30 seconds, the full hook of the song must come in already. For popular catch, mainstream music. Yeah, yes. to catch the listener. So they do not lose because people's attention span nowadays is so short. Yeah. Like you need to grab them as soon as, you know. So I mean like, I mean speaking of like going like like updating or like, you know, with the evolution of time with music and how like speak of blues, like I was like, how do you find nowadays because um, back then blues was probably the popular music of its time. Mm. Right? And now we and now we have the popular music of our time. Do you do you think that that's true? Like as to what people say that you know they are elitist and say that oh no blues music is the best or like it's what music is supposed to be. Mm. Do you think in contrast to today, popular music is the best and what it's supposed to be? Um, like it's all very very subjective, right? Yes, and, and <clears> that there is there is like social science research that backs that that has like asked this similar question yeah. and um, in general people find or rather the researchers have found that the music that you are exposed to during the period of your adolescence and mm-hmm. and your early adulthood tends to be have tends to have like a very strong impact and influence on your music tastes and preferences for the rest of your life that is very wow. interesting yeah. yeah and so for someone who grew up listening to like a lot of blues and you know more like the classic rock stuff yeah. yep. like that makes the impression of what good music is to, to mm. them mm. and so if we, if we take a step back to where we are now and we're looking back into the past you see a very clear cohort effect what's a cohort effect? Oh no, this is the, the sociology is coming hey, out. It's coming out. The is academia, coming out. The Put academia. it back in for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. so we, haven't even, we haven't really introduced that side of you yeah. yet. Okay. So. <laughs> Look, like a, a cohort or generational effect is uh, basically you, you see a trend mm. in which people from a particular generation that grew up or lived in a particular era, they tend to have certain things in common. Yeah. Okay. Is it like a gen thing? Like a, a similar, similar to like that Gen generation, Z, you know, the baby bloomers. Yes, and like your millennials today. Yeah. Mm. yeah, interesting. So, uh, I mean, because there is a heavy element of of time involved, right? So naturally, the pop, the music that was popular during that time, yes, plays a pivotal role in in determining or influencing what people's uh, preferences and choices are. Mm. I feel like that. I mean this is like talking about music on a whole different level in terms of how it impacts the social sociology of other people, the generation of that time under specific time stamp. Yeah. It would be like, um, I feel like music, like people tend to treat it as, oh, it's something that I listen to and I enjoy, but they have no idea the, the impact that it has on your perception of, or outlook on life itself. I, I feel like that music really does have a hand in that, mm. you know, and how we deal with things and how we 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 go about in our everyday lives, you know. Absolutely. I feel it. Yeah. yeah. Has, has being conscious of these things affected the way you create music with your band or personally? Yes. I, um, so I pursued my master's between 2017 and 2018. Mm-hmm. Right, it's a two-year two year course. 
during this period, I read up intensely about the sociology of music and, yep. mm. and, and specifically popular pop music. Mm. And um, a lot of, of how, you know, these aspects of music are being deconstructed and uh, you learning about how the music industry works. Mm. And so during these two, peri- two years, I had a lot of difficulty coming up with my own material. Because... Any specific because reasons? Somehow everything I came up with just felt lame. Mm. Like it felt so insignificant in the in the grander scheme of in, this. In the grandest, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I'm I'm slowly learning to overcome that. Also, thanks to encouragement from my bandmates. Yeah. Uh, but I I I will say that um, it's like a it's a it's a kind of like jadedness that creeps in on you when you realize how. Like, actually, does anybody really care about your music? So the existential question, existential crisis, right here, right? Like the 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 joke is sometimes. um, uh, (laughs) I was having a a conversation with a um a a friend who also works in a in a record label, indie indie label, not a major, Mm. and we were talking about like. Oh, should we try doing this? Should we try doing that with like this new artist? And and eventually, like we 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 stopped ourselves like mid conversation, and we both arrived at the same conversation that actually nobody cares, nobody cares what we do, so we should just do whatever we want. So it kind of emboldens you to yeah. a certain degree. Okay. So mm, I don't know. Maybe that's one way of thinking about it. Interesting, because I can I can imagine the same conversation. Nobody cares, and people would just stop doing it. Could 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 you imagine? Because yeah, that that, that is how some people would just st- uh stop pursuing mm. because nobody cares. They're not getting uh anything in return, any tangible returns. Not making money out of it, mm. and they can't sustain the passion that they have. Yeah, I guess at least for most indie musicians, uh. Indie meaning independent yes. and you're paying for most of your production and marketing costs out from your own pocket. Like. Yes. Um, there is a lot of it is just intrinsic motivation. You do it because you, you want to, you enjoy it and you're singing to the people immediately around you who, mm. who are very supportive of the work that you put out. Yeah. But I, I think it also differs... Uh, in 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 scale and in scope, as you, for example, if you decide to do uh more commercial work, mm-hmm. or if you decide to um start having like a a more ambitious uh musical goals that I you know, I want to reach out to to more fans and yes. more audiences, and and then you, yes, the music will still be important, but then you might need to be a bit more strategic in terms of like uh, how you want to write or, mm. or pander to certain groups of audiences from time to time. Not all the time, of yes. course, because you still want to be who you are. Yes. But sometimes like the pandering has to happen. Uh. So there has to be some level of strategic compromising to yes. a certain degree, yeah. even as an independent artist. Exactly, yeah. Interesting. So has, has your perception of music changed? Yeah, definitely has. Um, I think uh, I I recall this very poignant conversation with my my supervisor 
uh, I, even even when I think about it, it's it still feels very scary. Scary. Yeah. So, um, this this my my supervisor is this guy called Professor Chua Beng Huat. Yeah, and uh, he is a bit of a cult figure within <laughs> oh. within the field of of uh, pop music. Mm. Really uh, and cultural studies. Wow, on the on like the ex- sociology side, like right, right. sociology side of things, yeah. And um, he he comes from like a very traditional sociologist background, right? Where like probably he went to school reading a lot of like kind of like uh, Marxist literature, where you where mm. you talk where you talk about commodification. And uh, how even the production of culture yep. is uh, is subjected to different kinds of forces, political forces, yes. uh, forces of fi- financial capital, corporate capital, mm. and all that stuff. And so, um, in one of his books, he he made this very bold claim to say that the consumption and production of popular music happens within the realm of capitalism what does that mean so capitalism meaning uh it's like a a a system of relations where uh there are the the capitalists who own uh all kinds of resources or they i mean they own or control so Mm -hmm. it can be financial capital Mm. it can be land it can be they can be factories or offices or or labor yeah so they control. They have large. They have influence over large groups of people that, and they can get the people to work for them. Yes, and you have your your uh, laborers, mm-hmm. which uh, work. They exchange their their labor for wage. Yes, and they are also consumers. So consumers consume the product. Yes, that is created by, by the, the laborers, laborers and, the, and the capitalists. Yes. And uh, the process of consumption, surplus value is created. Or oh, this is like hardcore sociology lecture. Already. And we're, we're tapping on to that. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, it's good. It's so good. why do you think the, that professor made that statement? And Be- why, why do you think it stuck with you? I think because at the, at the heart of, of pop, pop music specifically, so yeah. now, now we're, we're narrowing the scope. We're talking about pop music. Mm. For, for pop music, it's... You're creating... Yes, you're creating music that contains uh, certain ideas and values and and there is a strong artistic vision uh, that that drives the creation of of this of pop music. Yes. But if you also take a step back, the process of creation and then the process of also marketing and selling it to people all depends on existing corporate structures. What do you mean by that? So corporate structures meaning uh, where how do you get the money to make the music in the first place? Mm-hmm. Right? The funds have to be raised through uh, whatever sponsorships sponsorships yeah. or, or maybe profits or from from the previous generation of, yes. of, of work that not previous generation but like work of that, artists yeah, like the, the jet, okay. And then um, how is music consumed? The music is consumed through transactions, right? You buy mm-hmm. 
the CD, you buy the merch, which is a physical transaction where you you exchange money for a commodity. Yes. Or you listen to it online through streaming platforms through YouTube and there are also a series of microtransactions where uh, there might not be, be explicit money being uh, not explicit money but money <laughs> that's being explicitly exchanged mm. or flowing but then uh, the transaction might be in the form of advertising revenue so but, it's just intangible yeah, yeah. but in the end uh, there are like dollars and cents involved yes. yeah and so I, I'm probably not doing Prof Chua's uh, <laughs> chapter any justice right now but but in a nutshell, he's just trying to remind everyone that the making and the production and consumption of pop music still happens within this this umbrella of capitalism. Uh, this umbrella of capitalism, and so as and because of that, the music that is created usually also serves as a as a commodity. Mm. And the purpose of a commodity is actually for it to be consumed. Yes. But you also cannot consume it forever. The eventual lifespan of a consumer product is that it is consumed mm -hmm. and then it is discarded. Okay. And the products that are not consumed are rejected and discarded anyway. Mm -hmm. So suddenly become very like nihilistic. But are these like the musical trends that we were just talking about? Like yeah. Trend, I, I feel like it's genres more of music will trend yeah. for a certain number of years and then yep. they will be forgotten put into the annexes of musical history, then a new wave of, of things will come out. Yeah, new products to be created and consumed. To consume, and, yeah. And eventually discarded as well. Mm. That's, a, that's a very like, interesting view take on yeah. on music as a as a product itself. I, I feel like a lot of people also don't... Because it's so intangible. Yeah. You know, it's not like going to a supermarket to buy. But actually, if you think about it, Spotify is a supermarket, for example. Yeah. Or iTunes store. It's a supermarket, but for music. Yep, yep, yep. So it's like, just that it's kind of of an endless stock. Uh, until the trend goes out. Yeah. But I, I think also to, 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 to reel everything back to the original question, is just like, how has studying sociology, mm. or yeah. how have like these things that I've gone through uh, changed the way I see music, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think I've become a lot more uh, emotionally disengaged oh. from the from music itself. Mm -hmm. And um, it is something that I have to learn to switch on and off. Right. Interesting. Like, like, you know, when I'm in the studio or when I'm with my bandmates and we're, we're jamming and we're, we're having fun, like, I have to be a musician I have to think about music through like an artist yes. yeah. creating something emotional yeah and I have to suspend that analytical oh interesting uh, in aspect of of, of uh, music that, that I have in, mm. inside me mm. as well otherwise it might end I'm just taking the fun out of was this oh, like not a the learning, fun but the magic out of it was this like a learning process for you as well yeah so it's I'm like keeping a balance huh yeah, I'm still working on that, man. Jekyll and Hyde, though. Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So you peek too far behind the curtain, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, yes, you know, in in a way, in a way, yeah. Because because 
through through your framework and whatever you just briefly mentioned, everything mm. boils down to dollars and cents and whatever they could get out of you to a certain degree. Dollars and cents, but also culture, power, and influence. Yikes! In terms <laughs> of, um, like when you talk about power, culture, how does music? Or how would they sort of like tailor it? Um, I I guess, you know, how should how should I answer this? Um. Oh no! <laughs> what have we done? <laughs> uh, Open a can of worms that oh can't, can't God, be put we've back. Gone down, we've gone down a black <laughs> yeah. hole, guys. We've gone down a black hole. I I I think the okay okay so so like the intellectual the intellectual aspect of 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 music mm-hmm. which is the my sociology training has encouraged me to 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 see things through is that um there are, there is power and social influence in in everything that that unfolds within the studio within the in in the so-called the market or within within the, the the realm of popular culture where people consume they make sense of these ideas that mm. are out there and and uh there is some kind of of social influence you know people change their beliefs their yes. behaviors yes it becomes a, a a way for people to express themselves their individual identities and their collective identities yep yeah and and um so as as musicians and as producers of music we we are in that very privileged position where we can uh say certain things to elicit certain kinds of emotions or responses from people yeah and so uh we should take advantage of this i guess to do good to do <laughs> yes and how and and with with all this knowledge as a musician and as a academic how does it does it help in running like like the label you mentioned oh yeah because now now you are as a label you're in the role of putting out the music yes and i guess you're please please tell tell me more what a label does and yeah everything okay um so firstly i think in a in like the most contemporary sense right uh the label is really just an aggregate of commercial and industry networks ties okay yeah and then the label might ha- might also possess certain kinds of resources uh in the form of like human capital which is skills okay uh financial capital which yes. is uh money yes uh social capital which is the the networks the, the networks, industry like. networks mm. and also cultural capital which is something a bit more symbolic and intangible but like in a way it can be translated to like clout. Label <laughs> uh, right. clout. Label yeah. clout. Gotcha. Okay. So I am now talking about label through a very sociological lens. Mm. Through the four these these different kinds of capital. Yep. Yeah. And um so for my own label Is there a name to it? Uh currently we are called Invasions. Yeah. Yeah. But um when the process of working on working on something new, uh so uh stay tuned for that i guess but you say you give us a tidbit okay what's the tidbit uh the new label name yeah is going to be associated with fruits 
So that's that's the furthest I'll go. Gotcha. Okay. Heard yeah. it first here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You all heard it first. And here. and and it, and the idea is because I want to help uh, musicians reap the fruits of their labor. Oh, conceptual. Yeah. Okay. So, well, that's cool. Finally. <laughs> finally. Oh, actually, I the the label name is also a question, la, So mm. it is not an answer. It is just the the, the start of it. Start of it. Yeah. yeah. So how how do you seek to achieve that? Because being a musician yourself, mm. okay, backtrack a bit. Does being independent mean you're not signed to a label? Yeah, we are. Um, we are not funded by by any major labels at all. So there are major labels and minor and yeah. Labels. So there, so sometimes what happens is like the major labels will either there'll be like a small indie label. They're successful. They got a bunch of artists. They manage to secure a very strong followership mm. like very strong clout right and so uh, sometimes what happens is like uh, they get bought over by a, by a bigger label and then the smaller label just functions as an arm to to release like more niche gotcha. or more audience specific uh, content mm. right yeah but uh, an, an independent label in the purest sense is just like a whole bunch of guys who are just doing they just started their own business and the business is to sell promote and like distribute music mm. yeah and also by working with artists la. yeah <coughs> are you are you privileged to walk us through like some of the, the the people you have signed on to this label or is it all hush hush no 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 actually that's uh, I'm more than happy to share so um this this We'll just call it invasions for now. Yeah. Right? Okay, so, uh, invasions. Invasions we, or invasion? Invasion. In, invasion. 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 Okay. Yeah. Cool. So the this invasion label, uh, we function primarily as digital distribution. Mm. Uh, so no physical store. No, no physical nothing. store. We don't touch the artist's merch. We don't. We don't manage them at all. Mm. Uh, but what we do is we. We work with the artists to 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 plan, uh, and and do like project management basically to and and help them release their music, in a in a way that will maximize the impact. Okay. Because you don't want to spend, for example, like uh, eight thousand dollars recording an album mm-hmm. and only having. 300 people listen to it on Spotify, you know? Something because it's like very that. bad uh, return of investment, something like it's that? It's bad return on investment and and even even if we don't think about money, like you want more people to listen to your music. Right? So the question is how? Lo? Yeah, so yeah. how do you reach these people, right? So there are different ways to do it. Uh, some of them, of course, the, the easiest way is to, is to try to get on a playlist. Mm. So, that's, that's like the hottest thing yeah like, so like that's the what name you mean of the by game playlist? right you get, on, Spotify you get on all playlists. these Spotify and Apple mm. music playlists okay um, uh, or, or, or any other platform for that matter YouTube playlists Deezer playlists but all these uh, are controlled by algorithms right algorithms uh, some of them by curation mm. uh, like I think Apple music specifically as part of like the the, the marketing spiel they they say, "Oh, our our playlists are all curated by yeah. by curators, by yeah. real people, not not machines." <laughs> so, uh, and then you have other platforms like Spotify, which uh, like to say, "Oh, you know, we use our algorithms to create like this very tailored 
specifically specific yeah. individualized uh, listening experience for the user. Yes. And and so different platforms have different strategies, but in a nutshell, if you get on a playlist, you will at least have some uh, guaranteed returns because the people that follow those playlists are going to passively listen to your music and they'll discover new stuff. Mm. Uh, hopefully your music. Yeah. So playlist is one way, but um, beyond that, the, the goal of, of, of the label and also any, any kind of like pseudo manager role that you're working with an artist for is to how can we grow the artist's audience, mm. right? How can we get people to become fans? Uh, how can the artist also <coughs> grow as an, as an individual, as a musician? Oh, yeah. So I, I'd like to think that um, for, for us, we are very growth-oriented. Mm. What does so, that mean though? Um, I, like for example, certain songs or certain material, we don't always try to push everything out for playlists. Mm. I, yeah. and it's like certain types to be put out for yeah. certain type of marketing or yes. like pushing. And sometimes like the, the song might be very meaningful to the, the, the artist and maybe the song is not like a hit song or something, right? But there's a strong message behind it and it might appeal to uh, a, a section of the artist's fan base or listener. Mm. So um, I'll just like to come work with them to come up with ways to, to, to promote and put the music out. It can be, it can be as simple as, as uh, scheduling like a, a bunch of, of social media posts and then you put the music out so that like it reaches the fans on social media. Yeah, usually it's not it's not rocket science lah. Mm. But I think a lot of the artists that we work with, uh, over the the past year or so, we've we've learned a lot about the different ways that you can put music out and how different people respond differently to different kinds of marketing and and promotion. So we're we're learning all these things and and so as a as a label like some of the the people that i work with are like singer songwriters mm-hmm. so people like liu mm-hmm. lew uh joey tan mm-hmm. uh, vivian yap yep yeah so all these people are singer songwriters which conventionally people feel like oh singer songwriters like the stuff a bit boring you know it's not and radio also don't really play this kind of like guitar singer songwriter music so how can we still get the this kind of very mid-tempo music out, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's like trying to think about like, okay, who are the kinds of people that will enjoy listening to this kind of music? What are the contexts which they listen to music in? Mm. And then coming up with like a strategy to, oh, instead of going for uh, certain kinds of playlists or certain kinds of audiences, why don't we try to target out and like work with with different people to to reach the the people that need to hear this the most? Yeah. So it's about being a little bit more creative with yeah. the approach. And and I think as a as an indie label and because we we have no large production budgets, everything is out of our own pocket. Mm. And uh a lot of us also have day jobs. So we we don't depend on music to make a living. Mm. So we can afford to be a bit more creative and and uh, try different things. Could you, know. you elaborate more about like 
what what is one thing that comes to mind? Like what have you guys have done? That's a little bit more off the box, I would say. Um so I think recently um so like most of the music that we have is very mid-tempo. What, acoustic. What is mid-tempo? Mid-tempo meaning like somewhere around 80 to 90. 80 to 90 BPM. BPM. Yeah. <laughs> Not too fast, but not too slow. Yeah, it does. It has no like heavy drum driving yeah. beat. There's no like it's mostly the chill stuff. Yeah. Mostly like the chill electronic chill kind of music. So think like the early Ed Sheeran stuff, yeah. or maybe early like John Mayer. Gotcha. Okay. Very very like. Is that some, a mood? Yes, it's a mood thing. Yeah. Easy listening. Easy listening is right. Yeah. yeah. It's like a so name. where what what kind of place would people want to listen to this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So uh, we in, instead of trying to go for all your top hits and you know, those very like do kind of playlists, we 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 go for like a bit lower tier, and, but uh, the music actually ends up working for them. So these playlists usually are uh, like. For for example, for a lazy afternoon, mm, yeah. you know these kind that kind of stuff, uh, and also most of the people that listen to our kind of music, can, like we like adults. Yeah, they're mostly also like targeted age groups too. Yes, right. They are they are not young people. Like young people, not so into into singer songwriter stuff. Like the young people like like the more like oh energetic party. yeah <laughs> party stuff party stuff right yeah. yeah so what we we've, we've realized is that actually yeah our audiences are slightly older so uh re- I I had this idea it's just like and so man the music is very chill right yeah it, it makes you feel relaxed what kind of place you would you want to feel relaxed in I mean other than a cafe any one of the things that came out that, bar, that came to mind was like beach bar beach or if you're on a plane yeah oh. Thing. Yeah, so I started targeting and and finding uh, airlines and like reaching out to them and saying like, like listen mm. to this chill shit, man. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, can you imagine like the forty five year old uncle flying business class, mm-hmm. right? He's like busy and then he just wants to like listen to music or whatever. He wants to listen to chill out acoustic stuff. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So we've had a little bit of success yeah mm-hmm. and uh, we managed to curate a playlist for SQ oh wow oh, so fantastic if uh, any of you <laughs> listeners uh, happen to be flying SQ in the near future uh, you can check out uh, some of our artists <laughs> oh nice and what are, who are those artists uh, so you have um, the, the few I mentioned earlier like Liu, Joey Tan mm-hmm. Vivian Yap The Color Fractal The Color Fractal Wei Wen uh, yeah Wei Wen who yeah. recently just returned from Berkeley Whoa. Uh, you have my own band, Mild Life. Mm, yeah. Some of our our mid tempo stuff is up there also. Uh, Gareth Gareth Fernandez. Yeah. So What's a, that's cool, man. That's great. Yeah. So just like thinking about all these like not so mainstream ways. Uh, non traditional. Yeah, non traditional. Yeah. yeah. Um. With all the talk about playlists and everything, I think the word that keeps popping out is specific specificity. Yes, or something very curated. Yeah. Why? Why do you think that that has a certain sense of appeal? Mm. Is it? Does mm. it boil right down to consumption behavior? Like people want something that is specifically tailored to them. Yeah. They don't want something that's mass. I think so. Okay. And and with with technology, with the digital platforms and mm. algorithms, uh, it can be done. You can really monitor. Of course, you use like el- the 
software to do it like you don't get someone <laughs> to, to manually do an Excel intern. Ex- yeah. you get like the intern to like track everyone's listening habits on the Excel yeah, creepy really but hard. okay yeah. no lah yeah, but, but with, with with software I think they can they can sort of form like a a digital representation of like what is what are the, the preferences of these habits yeah. yeah and and beyond that also it has to do with I think how the internet has changed people's uh, consumption habits mm. I mean in the past right when you listen to the radio you just sit there and whatever the DJs have programmed you you listen yes and same with watching TV right yes. you, you sit in front of the TV you go to the channel that you want and you just like watch the stuff that's yes. there but now uh, people will actually search for the stuff they want to see. It's like all on demand. Mm. And um, so I think it's the, it's the same for music. So uh, like the old school way of like really just blunt curation or listen to today's top hits. Yeah, sure. Some people still want to do like the top hit stuff, right? And it's still a very important part of like the business of the of all your major labels of people that just like straight up doing like pop music but for like us indies uh we have to find other ways to make it work or so yeah does does it scare you or does it freak you out to know that whatever you do online on the internet everything's being tracked to serve whoever yeah a little bit but also i mean um another way to 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 think about it is uh in when when it comes to social media uh the product is the user yes yeah so it's this 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 image or digital representation of who this data point is mm. What are the kinds of things that he or she likes? Yes. What are the kinds of things that he or she are likely to buy? Mm. What are those, what are his those behaviors? And and um scary, but like you can't really do anything about it at this point, other than just straight up unplugging and going living in a desert or something. But from so. an academic point of view, sociology and there is this mm. big shift uh towards online and offline. Do you see like a difference? Mm, difference in what sense? Because um, just coming from the perspective of how you, you mentioned uh, earlier that there used to be like a forum where people uh, gathered together for music yeah. and they talk about music. But right now it seems... It's a little bit more scattered. Uh, a little bit, yeah. I feel like you say like it's a little bit more accessible in the sense mm. in terms of how the times have changed into the digital age where music is a little bit easier to get yeah you know and like how in terms of, how do you like view it in terms of a more like sociology way like how would you describe it mm. how I, would you build on that actually I think firstly there are definitely a lot more people making music mm-hmm. because uh, the the technologies that are required to make and share music have become a lot more affordable and commonplace. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? And there, people are definitely listening to more music because uh, music has become uh, quite cheap. 
so to speak. Mm. Right? You no longer have to spend a lot of money on vinyls or CDs. You need an internet connection. All you need is an internet connection and like a, a, a computer or a smartphone and you can have a lot of stuff at your fingertips. Mm. So, uh, and then the, the byproduct of that is like the advertisers just get a lot of data about who you are. Mm. And um, Do you think it undervalues music in general like that because it's so, so easy, yeah. it's so accessible. Undervalue, it, it's it's subjective. I mean, undervalue is like a, a very charged term. Mm-hmm. And and yes, from a person running a label, sometimes it also frustrates me because, uh, you know, we need to recoup our costs. Yes. Right? And for the people who make a living off music, they need to eat. Yes. But then if we're not getting paid enough, then it's very tough for the, the artist to... To, to stay true to whatever he or she wanted to do in the first place mm-hmm. but you might need to so pander to certain audiences or just get a day job somewhere else yes but also in a in a in a very radical way you can think about it how music is getting decommodified oh so it ties back to what you were saying yes so with digital music, I find that music is behaves more like culture okay. than an actual commodity. It it becomes like a series of uh, ideas and sounds that the individual with internet access, of course, <laughs> can tap into. <laughs> that the individual is able to have access to uh, this cultural repository that mm. is different kinds of music. Mm-hmm. And you you don't have to pay large amounts of money up front, right? Because it's all so-called shared. It's part of like the cloud. Yes. And and so when people consume music, they really just consume it more like culture than mm. like commodity, like a buying a commodity, right? Yeah. So this is as a, I mean as a as a sociologist and also as a musician myself, I I feel I see this happening. So, um, I mean, as to whether or not how to make the money back, you just need to find new ways. I mean, maybe people don't buy the the CDs or or vinyls. I mean, some people still do, but uh, maybe there are other ways for people to wear the culture literally. Mm -hmm. So they buy merch. merch. There are ways for people to participate. And that's why you have uh, uh, patrons online patronage yes. yep. right to like patreon people will pay you uh, a, a small token fee every every month yes. to have access to your uh creative process yes. for example yeah yeah i, I want to talk a little bit more about musical culture but for people who might not be familiar with the term could you just explain what sociology is what sociology is to you and your teaching position at the school okay Oh, I have to explain sociology. This is this is tough. <laughs> <laughs> I think sociology is 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 the study of society. Okay. And um, as as is that specific? I mean, uh, because it is society is very large, and you said yeah. that, that there are a lot of quantifying things to you can look into. But is there a specific uh area that you're looking at? 
Okay, so um, let's let's let's, let, let's continue. For sociology is like the study of society, mm-hmm. and uh, what sociologists try to do is they try to understand um, what, how how society functions. What are these? How social institutions work? How government works? Uh, how companies work? Mm. How people behave and respond and interact with each other? How people with who are powerful, who have a lot of social influence, how they how do they influence people, and how do people respond to to being oppressed, for example? Mm. Yeah, and so sociology is involved in is is interested in all of these things, and there are there are some uh, there are other subfields, I guess, and so the field of of study that I am in. Uh, although it's not necessarily the same as the, the field that I teach, but mm. this is my, my own personal research interest is in uh, the sociology of culture. Mm. So, and uh, specifically pop culture and pop music. Yeah. And so, um, it, it, it really is just like a series. You basically, instead of thinking of music as like, oh, a song or, or this is my favorite my favorite artist or my mm. favorite band, right? We see them in a in like a web of relationships. That, uh, for example, uh, this is my favorite artist. This is the music that he makes, right? Mm-mm. The there are actually systems in place where this pers- the, this artist actually has relationships with, for example, a record label, which provides him with resources, him or her with resources to to put stuff out, right? And then the label and the artist together, they are embedded in the commercial market mm. where music is bought and sold. Mm. And uh, for the audience, the audience, they interact with the music uh, through transactions yes. primarily. Yep. But also the audience is able to um, have like other, fo- other forms of more subjective or intangible experiences with the music. And uh, for example, people uh, might have might use mi- different kinds of music for different kinds of purposes to relax, to mm. vent their frustration. Uh, musicians might perform certain kinds of music to achieve a particular artistic or political idea. You know, like for example, punk rock, mm. right? Uh, and so sociology is just interested in all these little relationships. Yeah, that that people have with music and with like cultural institutions that uh, participate in the, the the consumption and production of music. Like for so like other people out there like you know punk rock also like it's it stood for like the era or like the generation of people who rebelled against the institutions or yes. going against the system. So that with like the if what you say like sociology that studies that Yes. Connection, right? Yeah. If I'm not wrong. Was was let's say for punk rock, yeah. was that used as a case study to to illustrate certain points and to talk about the the, the climate of things back then? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um punk rock is 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 a of like okay, so I mean punk rock happens it happened like in like seventies and eighties, mm-hmm. right? And and today not so many people uh people look back to that era as like a case study to mm. understand how uh, a particular social class of individuals in society, yeah. they respond to 
the kinds of uh, structural oppression mm. and injustice that they experience. Yep. So, uh, in the 70s and 80s uh, in Britain, for mm-hmm. example, you had like a large disenchanted working class. Mm-hmm. And these are, there were people who were working in tough conditions or they were losing their jobs because of economic restructuring, because of... Uh, uh, for various various reasons, but um, yeah, and so the this social disenchantment led to uh, these individuals expressing themselves in uh, very musically violent ways. And I say musically violent because these people weren't necessarily violent. Mm. Yeah, not all of them, at least. Yeah. <laughs> but the the music that made was loud. Mm. It was abrasive. Mm. It rejected conventional ideas of what people thought right. music was. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so uh as sociologists we we look at this phenomena and we think we we see all these other social forces in play, like like for example, from economic downturn, mm-hmm. yep, from structural unemployment, mm-hmm. we see social class, we see individuals experiencing injustice and they they are drawn and the, the the restless creative energy that they have is channeled into the a, a new subculture which is the mm. punk subculture yes right and so this community of individuals they they have certain collective ideas and values and they they reject some social norms they dress in a certain way yeah. they speak in a certain way their hair is in a certain way. Yeah, and mm-hmm. the music, there is also certain very explicit uh, types of music and yeah. film and culture that they 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 consume and re- and reproduce in that in the process yeah. of consuming, and yeah, so like this is what sociology would study. I so think I think the only recent uh, culture that comes to mind when it comes to music, when I'm thinking about, it, is hip hop. Mm, yeah. Yes. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, and, and, and particularly as how hip hop started in the '90s in a particular area in, yeah. in New York and the street parties and everything, but now these days it's becoming more, like of a better word, commodified. Yes. They're selling the idea of hip hop. Yeah. So the please, culture it, of hip hop. Yeah. yeah, they're selling the culture of hip hop without proper representation of what it used to be. So I think the 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 the, the, the question I have like authenticity. Does it even matter in uh, the the climate of things today because of the accessibility of music, the the the, the idea just 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 kind of dilutes itself after a bit. Okay. Yeah. Um. Like, firstly, I have to make a few disclaimers. Uh, I am not like a big hip hop guy. Cool. So I'm not as familiar with the the lineage of artists mm-hmm. and the the specific struggles that hip hop as a subculture has experienced in in its journey into mm. contemporary society mm. over time, right? That's one. And the second thing also is um, how actually uh, hip-hop is is uh, a subculture that emerged from very specific cultural conditions like African-Americans mm. in um, the urban yes. neighborhoods. Right, Bronx, New York. Yes, yeah. and so um, I think very evidently it it has 
all these baggage, this kind of like historical baggage of racial yes. oppression, discrimination, yes. and also um, how there is a, a kind of like also class struggle. Yes. Inside, yes, because they come from underprivileged, the minority races in New York. Yes, yeah. um, they were denied position, certain positions, and certain forms of respect in society. Mm. Yeah, and so hip hop was born out of these conditions. Yeah, and uh, over the years, I think what we can we as a sociologist, and uh, this is just one way of sure. looking at things, right? Yeah, disclaimer made. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. because because that I mean, you can you can I I'm I'm quite scared of getting into trouble for saying the wrong thing. But this is your opinion, after all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but my my understanding and my my narrow understanding of 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 uh, hip hop is how actually um, so these uh, subcultures they just get commodified. Mm. Yeah, they get commodified, and the process of commodification is always about okay. I see this very interesting uh, thing s- subculture, mm. right? People perform it in a certain way. The music sounds like this. They dress like this, and so how can I package this up into a consumer product so that? can be consumed by people outside of the culture. Mm-hmm. And um, this is like the commodification like angle. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and then that, that, that sociology can, that, that some, some sociologists use to talk about hip hop. I mean, the other angle is also you can think about it as the commodification of deviance as well. So oh, that's interesting. Certain, uh, certain behaviors and activities and things that you usually would not sing about mm-hmm. or you usually would not like partake in are uh, actually uh, turned into into songs that are now available and actually acceptable and consumed in the mainstream yeah so in that sense you have certain behaviors that can be violent mm. or or uh, uh, some some people would say like it's misogynistic, mm. right? Or it might have some values about that about like the consumption of drugs that people disagree with, whatever. Yeah, but these these deviant behaviors are commodified and made accessible and uh, palatable for a large, much larger audience. And so, does it become authentic? Uh, uh, does it become inauthentic? I mean, um, I think really, really subjective and really hard to say because uh, like the hip hop as a form is heavily dependent on language. Mm-hmm. And so you have, you have rappers that rap in Chinese yes. or in Korean yes. or Japanese, yes. right? And and so language is one of those aspects that is like heavily in, in intertwined with the person's like physical, biological mm. and cultural being. And so I I think it would be very difficult to go up to a, a rapper that raps in a different language and say like, oh, it's, it's not authentic because you're rapping in 
Mm. In a, yeah. you, you're not doing it in English like, yeah. like, like the OGs did it you know so the idea has kind of evolved into something else yeah entirely. it has really become uh, and also because of, of digital production mm. it's so easy to reproduce certain sounds easy to replicate yeah you probably can just buy a beat on yeah, the marketplace you could, you, could. Yeah. you could exactly and so like increasingly authenticity becomes a a very contested uh, term does it become a product of the past though hmm I actually yes okay now that I think that's a, that's actually quite a brilliant question because I, with 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 digital technology with how easy it is to manipulate sounds and with how tech, the so these these like subcultures have really like seeped into the mainstream psyche of of young people mm. nowadays like maybe the right question would be to ask who is it authentic to mm. instead of asking whether is it authentic or not. Mm. Yeah. Very interesting. Yes. Mm. But it's, it's just my... Your uh, take on it. Two cents. Because like, yeah, I mean, what is authentic to a person is can be very different to one mm. from one to the other. So I guess, I mean, to each their own. But I guess mm. culture could also be manufactured, right? Yes, it, it can because be tailored, when, yeah. when you were talking about pop, the only thing I have in my mind is K-pop, and there have been various uh, video outlets and various videos about how those labels they they, they function like a machine, really. Yes, they 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 train uh, rigorous training, really really rigorous training, and they put uh, yeah. young girls and young boys through the training uh, in hopes of achieving uh, achieving that certain stardom. Yeah, so. And in that sense, through the frame or, or, or through the lens of a sociologist, isn't that a bit, um, what's the word for it? Evil? Evil. Maybe evil is a terrible word for it, but I think there's definitely some kind of exploitation happening. Yes. Right? And I agree with you. Um, I think the entertainment industry in general can be quite exploitative. Mm. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it can be very sexist, you know, to sell certain things. Mm. It can be very ageist in a mm. way of how musicians often have very short lifespans, especially women, mm. fortunately. Uh, and I mean, it can also participate in all kinds of vices just yes. to get, achieve a particular goal. Or even a particular look. Yeah. An image to, to, to sell to people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but specifically, I think for for K-pop and the way they, they train and they mm. cultivate and they produce uh, these cultural commodities for people to consume, right? Um, I, I, I like to think of them as like cultural techniques. <laughs> That wow. is the first time I've ever yeah, heard of that. Yeah, please, please explain. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure some, some researchers have written about these cultural techniques and cultural technologies. Um, I think basically they, they are, you, you have like these labels that, as I've shared earlier, they, they, are, they are like conglomerates of that, that have accumulated significant amounts of resources. Yes. Right? not just financial, it's like human capital in the form of um, them having certain skills. Influence. Skills and Cloud, influence, yeah. right? 
Yeah. And one of the, the things they try to do is they come up with like a formula, like a, a, yes. a, a, a way of, of, of creating and reproducing some forms of success that they, they, they have uh, picked up in the past. Yes. Yeah. And through these different, different techniques that they, they have to, for example, train mm. uh, a performer mm. to move his or her body in a certain way, to sing in a certain way. And also on the music production side, they have like these songwriters and producers that uh, know how to create music and write music and structure it in a certain way so that it's very catchy. Yes. It appeals to a particular, a specific demographic. Yeah. So all these are, uh, I think what we can consider uh, to use this very like academic term, like cultural techniques. techniques. Okay. Yeah. So it, so it, it, from a sociologist's point of view, it's not to criticize or to, to add morals into the question. It's just purely to observe. Um, I think, and this this is actually contested within the field mm. because some people do some people are like yes we are here to do science mm. and we have to we want to explain how things happen yes we're not here to pass moral judgments mm. um, but I would say um, as a sociologist uh, we should still always call out evil things when it's happening because. One of the ways which sociology, like one of the core tenets, I was, I suppose, is that we're always interested in power and social influence. Mm. And so when power is used in ways that are exploitative, that are unjust, then the sociolo- it is the responsibility of the sociologist to call it out as well. Interesting. Yeah. So in, in, in this particular scenario, would the power and... Would, would the power lie with the the label and the, the, the bigger company because it, it, it doesn't seem like there's any power or really any influence in the artist because that's the bottom of the food chain. Hmm. I think too might be quite challenging to... I mean, we don't have visibility over many things so it's hard for us to make that claim. Mm. But, but I, can, I can see, yes, uh, you can imagine how you have these large corporations who have that kind of legal legal muscle right legal muscle yeah yeah that can bind uh performers and and songwriters into into agreements that require them to work uh, very long hours yes. and uh, and achieve certain kinds of commercial success before they are entitled to the the returns yes some some returns so yeah, I think definitely, definitely so. But for the for a lot of the performers also, they see themselves as participating in a in a cultural force that is much larger than than who they are, mm. and potentially you know that that glimmer of hope of to be able to be a star and become influential and maybe make some kind of positive change might be the the driving force behind these individuals. So. Then from that perspective, then you can see it as religious business as usual, willing buyer, mm. willing seller. Mm. True. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like Yeah. It's, like, it's all like, about like perspectives actually. Yeah. Mm. Sociology is like religious perspectives. Yeah. And also just like like understanding from different actors within the system how it works. 
and uh, what is the what are the kinds of practices the lived realities you know how people negotiate social structure and power and bureaucracy and you know mm. yeah. but okay I just want to wrap up this entire session I just have a couple of questions um, outside of sociology in general outside yeah. of the music industry um, with the advent of the internet and there is as I said before there is an online uh, online forums like Twitter mm. and, and places like these where people can share their ideas and from your, 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 your point of view as a sociologist what do you make of all these uh, I would call them enclaves of, 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 of different people with perhaps the same ideology always talking about different issues um, is that is that a glimpse into the future or are we already there where people from look, I think with an internet connection location doesn't really matter anymore mm. and the world is becoming that much smaller it is a lot smaller now than yes. it was 5 years ago 10 years ago yeah what does that mean uh, from your perspective as a sociologist like is it just going to be one large hegemony of, of people with I don't know the, 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 or is it just going to be different enclaves of people right um I think definitely with these digital platforms, right? Uh, there is a, it runs the risk of really having uh, minority voices being drowned out, mm. right? Because the algorithms will pick out things which are popular, yes, and the most in trend and, and most interesting ones, yeah. right? And like they will trend. And then mm -hmm. as they trend, they get even more popular and it just snowballs. And after all, everyone knows what about this mm -hmm. particular thing. But uh, there might be other more pressing issues mm -hmm. in that need to be acted on. But yeah. like, you know, maybe the, it, these, the, this kinds of stuff is not as interesting or sensational mm. and it doesn't get picked up as much. And, and, and the, it gets drowned out in like the cacophony of, pop, of popular voices. I would say outrageous tends to trend more than something of goodwill. Yeah, that is true. And yeah, because uh, because I personally believe it activates a very base emotion like anger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's either very funny, very uh, angry, uh, and uh, maybe something very controversial. Controversial, controversial. Or, or conspiracy theories. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> right. And all these things sort of give you a, a slightly distorted view of yes. of of a, I I hesitate to use the word reality mm -hmm. also because I think we've gotten to a point where it's difficult to say there is some kind of objective reality. It is pretty subjective, isn't anymore. it? Anymore, yeah. yeah. And how uh, on, should I use this term of uh? Hyper reality. We we uh, we instead live in hyper reality. Could could you explain that? So I mean, I, I think hyper reality is a term used in a lot of like postmodern literature mm -hmm. to talk about how uh, like most of us in contemporary in contemporary society are so completely immersed and connected to media. Mm that we are unable to see or understand the world without media. And so our understanding of the world actually becomes simply is, is simply just the understanding of the media around us. Okay. And so uh, it is like this hyper-mediated sense 
of reality that we have. Hyper? Do you mean hyper by a more sensitivity to it, or just a yeah? Hi, I think by hyper mediated, I mean um, there is there are so many layers and layers upon layers of mediation. Yeah, mediation being in a in like through like media. Mm. So you have something that happens in in real life, then it is captured by a camera, self camera. So uh, that camera only captures like one perspective. Yes. Right. Yes. And then this perspective is once again mediated through the internet. Yes. Where it's seen by more people. Yeah. And then there are other different groups and communities that might appropriate this piece of media in a different way. So yes. there's yet another layer of mediation. Yes. They're adopting this to to fit a certain agenda yeah. that they might have. Correct. And so by the time it really gets to the to the 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 viewer, maybe half the world away. Mm what you are viewing is really just a piece of media that is disconnected from reality. Or the actual thing that happened. Yeah. Mm. And so I think this is this is what I'm trying to describe. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Shout out to uh, Jean Baudrillard. But but, but 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 who's that? <laughs> she's the she's the French French uh philosopher and uh. media critic that came up with this term hyper hyper reality. And yeah. since knowing this turn, has it informed the way you, you approach media in general? Yeah, or when absolutely. you approach anything in general? Yes, I think it, it has... I, I, I'm, I try to remind myself to be humble and not jump to conclusions. Discerning. Yeah. And to the point where sometimes I actually... Uh, I just treat everything like a meme. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Because if you if you if you are to take everything seriously, right? Like, what's the point? Because everything is so distorted and disconnected from the truth, mm. right? Yeah, and so like the if I if I could use like another very uh, annoying philosophical quote, please. Which, uh, if some people have actually debated on whether it's true or not, but uh, there is a this. This 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 French guy that I mentioned earlier, Jean Baudrillard, he talks about the simulacrum. Never heard that before. So the simulacrum is actually something like a simulation. Yes. Right. And so because we are all um, trapped in this like hyper-mediated yes. reality, it's almost as if we're living in a simulation. True. Right. Where the simulation does not obscure the truth. Because because most people will be like, yeah, we live in a simulation and the simulation prevents us from seeing the truth. Like Plato's mm-hmm. allegory, like mm-hmm. the bunch yeah, of people the cave, in the yeah. cave, yeah. they see the shadows, but they never really see what is the actual thing that's there. Yep. So Jean Baudrillard takes it a step further and says, the simulation doesn't obscure the truth. It obscures yes. the fact that there is none. Okay. Yeah. That there is actually no truth. But then people... St- still in their own heads they think that there is some kind of truth there is no one objective truth yeah it is exactly each subjective to every individual yes so in that way how do how the fuck do we function as a society yeah so so uh uh, society is just very schizophrenic now i guess i mean Mm. so so manic you know 
one moment we're happy and one moment we're angry because we 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 discover some injustice has happened and then uh different individuals or different powerful institutions are very eager to to hijack media for their own agenda and and yeah it's very dystopian actually so from your perspective you just treat everything as a meme yeah I just treat everything like a meme a wise man once told me that to 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 treat everything on the internet as a joke it is it yeah. is quite a joke everything on the internet is after a joke a while. Yeah. after yeah. all I just kind of laugh at everything <laughs> yeah don't don't take things too seriously, seriously. really yeah. mm. with a pinch of salt with yeah. a pinch of salt sorry um, I mean but that said right yeah. um there there is still I think certain certain different groups in society that are committed to certain causes of justice yes. and knowledge. Mm. And uh, I think it's not to say that everything is a meme, so we shouldn't believe these guys or so, but I think if, if we are a bit more uh, perceptive and careful and curious, intellectually curious about the things that we read, I think it, it might help us still like gain some some sense of like reality and knowledge. Also, mm. like being aware, also. Yeah. Socially aware. Correct. Socially aware. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, I'm just particularly curious about this question, and do answer it with with your own opinion. Do you believe in a utopia, and if so, what does that look like to you? And if not, why? Well, I don't. I don't think so. I don't believe in a utopia, unfortunately. Mm. Um, Why not? I think there are too many conflicting interests that exist in society, and uh, there, like, even if there is some kind of utopia, like I would say it is just like a kind of like dynamic equilibrium where you have these conflicting parties that are are pulling against each other, right? But for that particular moment in time, things are like sort of stable. Mm. And then like there might be an event or uh, that, that will happen and shake things off their balance for a bit and like, and then it might stabilize again for a short while. So it's always a balance. Yeah. It's, it's also it's always a dance between chaos and something with and s- something more s- chaos and order. Yes. Okay. No, no utopias, but also no dystopias in particular. So let's say if those two are the extreme ends, we're always just fluctuating between the middle here yeah. and there. I and think balance is always important. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Is how I feel. <laughs> agree. Okay. Agree. So. Um, in closing, do you have anything you wanna you wanna plug? You wanna shout out? Where can people yeah. find your stuff? Yeah. Um, I guess I'll plug my my own band. You you Mal guess <laughs> you you guess yeah. you'll plug it last. So, Mal uh, <laughs> Live, the the band which I play in, we will be putting out music really soon. Okay. Hey. Uh, we've been in the studios. In fact, tomorrow I'm going back to the studio to uh work on some new material. Mm. Nice. So. St- um, if everything goes according to plan in September we'll be putting out a new song we're going to South Korea to, oh, play, damn. to play a music yeah. festival nice yeah so uh, stay tuned for more exciting stuff from Mouth Life mm. nice and that's all? 
Yeah. Uh, and also, if uh, you're interested in the music scene in Singapore, uh, keep an eye out for a new label next year. <laughs> hey, the one that shall not be named yet. Yeah, the one that shall not be named Indeed. yet. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you, Ping Sing, for the fantastic episode. Thank mm. you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and feel inspired. Don't forget to keep posted for the next one. And if you really liked what you got, give us a follow.